I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show all right so we ready to start this thing so many so many so many damn books Hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books, a blessing, a curse, a podcast. My name is Christopher and I am joined in the damn library physically by Henry Hoke. Henry, I am so excited to have you here. Um, Henry is the editor of the Offing Literary Magazine and his writing has appeared in No Tokens, Triangle House Reveal, Electric Lit, and the Flash Noir Anthology, Tiny Crimes. He's also created the performance series, Enter Text in Los Angeles, taught at CalArts and UVA Young Writers. And he's the author of Sticker and The Groundhog Forever. And he's here to talk about the smash summer hit, Open Throat. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Seriously, Open Throat totally, completely took me by surprise. I cannot wait to get to talk to you about it. Um, and it was very fun trying to decide on the cocktail. It's a strange book because it is from a mountain lion's perspective, which I love books from animals' perspectives. It's one of my favorite subgenres. And I was kept thinking, would I make a drink? <laughs> that a mountain lion would enjoy uh (laughs) and um i've gone down sort of meaty drink route before and decided no let's let's make this a little nicer so uh i went with lemongrass i just love the flavor of it i also love the idea of um just there is like the the desert grass kind of looks sort of like lemongrass to me like these long stalks and so I found this California gin. It's my favorite gin. I keep using it. Gray Whale Gin. I really need to get like sponsored by them because mm-hmm. I use it in all the gin drinks I make. It's just such a great... It's a California gin. This is a California book. It seemed to fit. And then there's one ounce of lemongrass simple syrup. And that's... You simply like toast your lemongrass in a dry pan and then add sugar and water and simmer it like you would make any simple syrup. And then you add half an ounce of lemon juice, fresh squeezed. And then I, because I was thinking about the violence inherent of being a wild animal, was thinking about how to incorporate a little bit of violence. So I also made a fresh strawberry syrup. And you sort of drizzle that over, and it settles at the bottom in a nice way. So that is violence in the grass. 
And I'm enjoying it very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. It's uh, There's no air conditioning in the damn library, so oh. it's nice to have something cold. It's good refreshment. Yeah. And yeah, no, I think it's like it's a perfect visual. For <laughs> and also to have something that's not necessarily meaty, but it's kind of like a mountain lion trying to be a person, I think, is is on point. For this <laughs> well, I'm so I'm so glad you get it. And <laughs> everyone can if you want to see the recipe, you can check out the picture on Instagram uh, so many damn books there or you can actually go to the website every drink I have ever made hundreds of cocktails at this point um, is on so many damn slash the damn bar so you can go and check that out see the branding goes all the way through <laughs> uh, okay so one more thing we do before we get to talk about open throat is to discuss the wonder that is capitalism and consumerism uh what did you buy and do you want to talk about something you bought or would you like to me to go first to sort of give you a uh, you start framework? okay you start tell me what you bought i'm curious so i was recently uh, revisiting Lynn Reed Banks, um, author of Indian in the Cupboard, and thinking about whether I was going to revisit that series because it's a bizarre series. If I remember, there's five books in it, which I didn't remember. Um, I know I read at least two of them. But then I found this other book that came out in 2007 called Tiger, Tiger. And it is about two tigers that are found in the jungle, and one gets trained to be Julius Caesar's pet, and the other gets trained to fight in the Colosseum. <laughs> and I cannot wait. I, I got a copy immediately when I heard about that, especially because I just came back from vacation. This is the first episode back from vacation. And I, was, I went to the Colosseum in Rome, and it's one of those tourist attractions that far and away exceeded my expectations. I really felt the, like, wonder and history <laughs> of being there and so it was it seemed like kismet to suddenly run into this book that dealt with ancient rome that's also about two tigers um so that's very exciting yeah i'm excited by that title <laughs> <laughs> so and then i also while i was in paris i stopped in this um graphic novel store called la rubrique de boule probably ruining that french <laughs> but it's this incredible looking cover i'm showing it to henry right now it's three silhouettes on a aurora borealis background it's this enormous trim size which all of their graphic novels are these big hardcover um paper overboard hardcovers and uh, it's called les pisleys and so that is a polar bear mixed with a grizzly and it is in French, and my French, my reading French is much better than my speaking French, um, but I don't know anything about it other than the, the gorgeous cover of the three silhouettes and the thing about the bear. I'm going in pretty blind. Um, I just, and I chose it from the store because I was like, that is a beautiful, that's a beautiful cover. Yeah, I can, I can vouch for that. That's, uh, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> so that's Jeremy Moreau's Les Pisleys. Um, really cool i'm very excited to to jump in okay henry what about yeah. you what did you buy well, thank you for the animal theming and your, <laughs> your consumerism um 
Yeah, I well, I was in London um, launching the book for Picador because they had a July twenty seventh launch date for Open Throat. Oh, cool! And so it was really fun. I had um, I was very much like in the whirlwind of just. I had I have a wonderful publicist, Kieran Sanga, and he he was uh, publicist Barbie was you know the, the theme. So he, that you know I had my publicist Barbie with me the whole time, taking me around everywhere. You know I'd been to London before, but I was I don't know it very well, and so it was great to have someone, you know, really just you know being my. Uh, just my guide and uh and you know my my brain basically i could just sort of like enjoy because i didn't have to think about getting from place to place which has been a huge part of travel for me before you know it's just where the hell am i going but this was um we hit like i think six bookstores in one day just visiting and meeting the booksellers signing the book it was just a really wonderful time wow Um, and one of my favorite things um to do is to just look at the uk editions of books that i'm like pretty familiar with and and you know you know more than probably most people i know but most people i know are very familiar with book covers by the time the book comes out you know we see it posted our friends post it you know the cycle posted all the magazines post it so to see something that appears different you know that, that i just love that i love going in and touching the strange books and um i'm doing a the national book festival this weekend uh with shelby van lynn who wrote a book uh partially told from the perspective of an octopus called remarkably bright creatures and it has like a really really cute cover in in the uk so i got that (laughs) um and then there's also um my friend Chantal johnson uh, has a book post-traumatic and it had this like it has a um sort of stark black and white cover in america but there is this like red i was like oh i need the red one (laughs) you know so i needed like the twins of these books i already have (laughs) um because i just yeah i adore that and sometimes i'll like you know not gonna name any names but sometimes i'll be like oh that cover's okay but like let me see what the uk cover looks like and it's better so i order that sometimes (laughs) no i completely agree um i i sometimes i I love actually electric literature sometimes does this like um tournament of the book covers to to see who (laughs) whose art department is better mm-hmm. the uh, europe or or here um and i really i don't know it's always a toss-up i don't think that there is a f- you can't just say like one is always better because they're really very mm-hmm. different and um seeing the different especially if you've read the book it really adds something uh, to see a different interpretation of the image yeah did um, um did your book have a different cover? well so for me no it was <laughs> uh they, they took Lord rodrigo corral who's you know the goat uh did this amazing rorschach uh mountain lion face um with a sort of kid uh girl figure in the middle of it um and it, i mean it blew me away when i saw it but i think it also you know when the uk group saw it i think they'd been kicking around some ideas but they were like no this is this is the thing that. we just yeah. have to use it and i you know it'll be on the paperback too so um yeah, you know, I, I like the idea of alternate covers. We sold it to uh, to Brazil and Germany recently, so maybe they'll go for something different. There's some, you know, obviously the title will be different um, in translation. So, yeah, it'd be fun to see um, what was tossed around. I get to see almost all of Rodrigo's, like, drafts for it. Okay. So I've seen, like, 800 variations <laughs> on the cover. Um, he made even a video montage of all the ones. So that was incredible Ooh. to see. Um, I'm very happy with how it ended up. I was a little worried. I was like, am I going to see one? that like I wish he'd gone with but no no this was this was the one I I don't think people realize like for, for when you see the the cover of your book it's kind of the first time that you've really dealt with how the book is going to be marketed like how they're how the machine is seeing the book versus your very artistic troop of your agent and your editor like oh we're doing all of these things but then they give it to the art department and you see how they're actually going to sell it that's always that that can be very um it's it's emotional it's very emotional 
so it's it's great that you had a um a positive experience i did yeah I, i've often had positive experiences or at least i've gotten to be involved like i don't know if i would have had I, they gave me you know the ability to give notes on this cover and you know I wasn't expecting, but I didn't. There were no notes. <laughs> but uh, but I have had, you know, I've worked with designers before on my other books, and that's been wonderful because, I don't know, I love, I, books are really, you know, the look of a book is incredibly important to me. And when it, when it, from the jump, all the, all the designers got it. And that's what's so important. And then it was just all about maybe finessing or whatever, you know. Um, we can talk about my other ones at some point because those are <laughs> those are fun stories too. But like okay. I wanted, I wanted parental advisory, the actual sticker from the RAA on the cover p- potentially of of my sticker book. Um, and so we like Bloomsbury like went to the RAA and they were like, no, we don't license it for any use, but for you know our own merchandise. <laughs> or <whatever>. So <laughs> so they said no. So I had to buy my own and stick them on copies. For <laughs> but I mean, you know, like. It could send the wrong, it could be the wrong message. I mean, mm. people are looking for, you know, with this sticker book that might be about a rap album or something. <laughs> it was, yeah, and it, and it does become that. But yeah, it was, you know, so it, <laughs> it was a blessing. It was restraint because if you see the actual cover, it's got unicorns and stars and rainbows. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's already a lot. Yeah, no, <laughs> restrained with unicorns. That's yes. like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my Twitter bio. Um, <laughs> sorry, X. I'm I, I'm quitting. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, I can't even. I'm I'm too sad about what's happened to Twitter slash X. I can't even really. Let's let's talk about fun things. Absolutely. So the novel. How did how did you pitch it? Did you did you pitch this to people and did you have like a one liner? Well, the pitch was easy. You know, I, I guess the first person I pitched it to was my my damn self. You know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, am I gonna write as the mountain lion? You know, and and there is a there was a mountain lion, um, dearly departed, um, who lived in Griffith Park near my neighborhood in Los Feliz. So really, just giving myself permission to like go with that pitch. I think once I started writing it, I was like, well, this will be easy to pitch. And it wasn't like the, at the front of my mind because I really, I mean, maybe it was, but I, I pushed it to the back. I really, really work hard to like not think about, like we've talked about, look, the marketing aspect or the how people will receive something when I'm really embarking on some the kind of ridiculous journey that is writing a whole book. But um, but I think in my in my heart, I was like, yeah, this this is something that like I have a really easy point of entry. I can say, oh, it's a it's a Los Angeles novel from the perspective of a queer mountain lion. Like that's it, you know, um, and, and um, and I think most people, and it that ended up bearing out in all of our, you know, everything that happened with my agent and my editors and everybody was like, that's all they needed. They were like, okay, let me let me try this. Yeah. And once they tried it, you know, that was that's where I took over, and they liked the book. So, yeah. Do you mind reading from it a little bit sure. to give the the listeners and who haven't experienced this yet, because it is. There's a lot of space on the page. I I, mm-hmm. I highly recommend looking at the um, looking at this in a bookstore and then buying it. But um, <laughs> because the 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 formatting of the page even is a little wild and a little unexpected. Yeah, I, I didn't punctuate the book, so it's all line breaks that form these sort of. I think of them as like claw marks scratched across the page, but they're these little you know stanzas of prose that are separated by uh, space. And so yeah, it moves and it doesn't really stop and it's a little more rhythmic than like you know a normal paragraph facebook would be and that felt right and it's how i started doing it i guess so like that form was literally just how i did in the word document because it sort of kept me moving and it kept me entertained um so i didn't like go back and make it that way i never wrote this with any punctuation so it really was one-to-one how it looked in word is how it looks in the book that's published um wow 
Uh, I think I've written other other things like that a little bit, or at least with that level of fragmentation. I think it's just like it's like my sort of like it's like the ilk I come from, you know, are people who have fun with space mm-hmm. and with uh, formal deviations and hybrids and things like that. It was just like it's like I went to CalArts and studied with a lot of people who who had that approach, mm-hmm. um, and it always excited me because it just it's more fun for me to write that way. I get trapped into like feeling if I'm doing like a you know paragraph situation like i just feel like i'm back in school writing like a five paragraph essay or something like something about it just weighs me down a little more than i like to be absolutely and this voice was a perfect fit for this format right um yeah well, I mean, what do you want me to read do you have any do you have any like requests um, <laughs> uh, how, how how r-rated can we be very I okay mean, cool well i'll read this part then great <laughs> <laughs> Let's get real. Um, so yeah, it's a mountain lion in Los Angeles. It's in a cave. I think it's gone to sleep before this part. That's all you really need to know. It's early in the book. Piss splashes my face and wakes me up. The sharp smell bristles my fur and my eyes pop open. I watch the man's dangling part and the wet pouring from it onto the pebbles in front of me. The salt covers my lips and I lick it away. I'm hungry again. I turn away from the spray and my eyes must catch the sunlight because the pissing man makes a deep noise and clutches his chest and turns before pulling up his pants and he skids on the gravel and falls on his face. He recovers and runs out of the cave and doesn't look back. If he looked back, he'd see me not chasing, not moving. He'd see me not giving a fuck. I've been pissed on before. The animal perspective is such a fantastic vector for looking at humanity (laughs) Um, because it's on the outside, but still connected, but a mountain lion is not connected and shouldn't be connected to humanity. And you sort of see that immediately, like, oh, I don't know if this this animal should really be this close to the humans. Uh, Yeah, I, I was asking this before and you sort of went into it, but what's what's mountain lion perspective how how does it feel to be living yeah. and and you're like closing your computer and you're like i'm still thinking like a mountain lion God, yeah and that that was very true um i got really into the perspective i think um you know my, well, my my practice was i would just i would write for three hours every morning um after i ate breakfast and i, I was saying this in an interview recently i would i would write until i um until i got hungry but the hunger would help me. So I would like go a little past when I needed like a snack. I have to eat a lot. I'm just like that kind of person, like a hummingbird. So, um, but so like I would, I would let the, I would let the writing session go on a little too long so that the hunger could feed the hunger of the cat a little bit and the anger of the cat. Like it just, that sort of worked for me. And I, so I kept sort of doing it that way. Um, Cause I ate a really light breakfast. Um, but basically like I would um, play the same album um, and I would, Medita- well, I would start by meditating I and mean, then I would play the same sort of instrumental album um, every day. And when I meditated, I would put myself in the space my cat was going to find itself, whether it was in like um, a cave like you just saw or like, you know, the LA outside the L.A. Zoo or like a burning forest, like not to spoil too much. But, you know, these kind of things, I would really try to get right into that space and then just start with my present tense. Right. No punctuation and just go. And I would get these real morsels of, of plot and voice through that process um but otherwise like the perspective is just mine i felt like i mean this as you said like this was a cat like the real cat p22 you know had crossed the 405 freeway wandered into the griffith park mountain range which is right in the center of los angeles basically you know it's it's between the valley and la proper the neighborhood near it is los feliz which is like a lot of like 
you know, the, you know, the Greek theaters uh, there, there's a bunch of, you know, very nice houses built up into the hillside. And then the lowlands sort of starts with apartment buildings and it just continues into the sprawl. So it's really like right at the edge of the city itself. And it continues over into Beechwood Canyon and like where the Hollywood sign is, where this cat, you know, prowls and the caves are there. So this whole range was really compelling to me. But the idea that this cat was like a lone apex predator there but was right on the fringes. I was like, there, there are hikers going by all the time. Every time I hiked up there, walked up there, I would think, you know, there could be this big cat right nearby, like haunting that situation. Because we really did live in the neighborhood around the exact same time. Um, and at some point, the cat lived under a house. Um, and that fueled a huge part of this book that I made much more, you know, fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole journey always fascinated me. And I think, but but really because of that figure and that situation it would be in, I saw a chance for my voice mm. to just come out. Just like the confusion I felt, the alienation I felt in LA, the, the just sort of the way we all, I think, are dealing with like awareness, like overwhelming awareness of like, climate grief and inequality and the frustrations of like all of our mechanisms and society like i think that i was like well how would how would this figure make sense of them in any way and will that help me make sense of them and so really a lot of the musings or the confusions or all that come from just my own perspective yeah 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 i mean that's that's the that's the sort of secret about the form of the animal perspective is that you can really kind of put your observations that you may have felt like i don't know how i'm going to put this into a human's mind um but it feels like it could come from an animal more naturally did you have any (laughs) spirit guides as far as um animal perspective novels that you were reading and going back to for me it's like i sort of always do the opposite is if i have an idea i make sure i don't touch anything even remotely similar to it so I was like, no. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I still haven't read very many, um, especially ones quite like this. I mean, there are, there are a few, you know, I, I don't like, there are a few that I felt like did a really interesting approach or job, um, but like weren't quite what I wanted, you know, and like maybe like what I saw as a potential and not saying like, you know, they're like inferior, but just not necessarily what I would do with it. And so I sort of knew that like what I'm going to do is a little different and a little hybrid and it's going to combine a few influences. You know, I'm not going to lean fully into like, like a whole other language, you know, because there, there are like ambitious novelists um, and writers who, who write, we'll, we'll think of like a, a very like dense conceit of language or like whether it's like an archaic language in like a, in a period book or whether it's something where like, you know somebody's piecing together human language and also everything's phonetically spelled and strange you know Mm. i i I didn't want to go with that i just thought that's going to cloud like my own experience of writing this and i want to have fun Mm -hmm. so there were things that i knew like had been done um or have have read parts of or whatever but i didn't really immerse myself in animal voices i was more like enjoying some really like direct uh what i would call feral books about like i don't know about violence and about experience and about people in our various moments and those were the books i was influenced by i think yeah um, do you have any titles from I, the vi- the feral yeah I, I can name drop the two that i was reading or revisiting at the time um you know i had just moved back to new york um from los angeles i lived there for 11 years um in la and i'd come back to new york and was in brooklyn and it was winter and you know it was just kind of like okay right winter exists um <laughs> And, you know, a good was, reminder and this was the winter right before the pandemic you know so it's just like an interesting time but um but two of my friends had recently written and published these really beautiful books that are very like they're terse and they're fierce and they're direct 
and I just loved them so much and I wanted to do something like that but um the, I would consider those books like incredibly like I don't, I don't know like I consider this a feminist novel because my cat is like a genderqueer like person on a you know person haha, a figure on a gender journey and I but I think um but I was like these, these books are specifically about like women's experiences and and young young women uh, girls experience um one is called Ultra Luminous uh, by Catherine, Catherine Faw, Faw. Mm-hmm. Um, who's one of my best friends. And, um, and I just, I love that. I love that book. And I, I love Catherine's writing in general. I've known her since I was, oh God, 17 years old. You know, we were just old, wow. old friends. Um, but one of the first people that I, the first person um, who I was friends with, who I thought this is like a fucking incredible writer. Like this is somebody that like, I cannot wait to read their writing every week in like comp class. You know, just somebody who I was like, this is, this is my, this is my idol basically, <laughs> but a peer, you know, a friend. Yeah. Um, and so I've loved seeing uh, the the books that she's created. Um, and this book, yeah, it's, it's a book about a, um, a, an escort, like a, a high-end uh, sex worker in New York City. And it, it's sort of regimented uh, in these prose, these amazing concentrated prose practices prose fragments around each client mm-hmm. you know that she's seeing every night of the week um and then like her night off or whatever where she eats like Dwayne Reed sushi and yeah. does heroin it's just it's an incredible book um and there's a whole other through line to the book that I, I don't think I'll spoil go read ultra luminous everyone yeah. um but um but that book was beautifully fierce and I was hanging out with Catherine and thinking about it and thinking like I'd love to write something that direct you know that like perfectly uh engaged with with both violence and like the struggle of selfhood mm-hmm. um and then i also um uh, I, I had read uh, susan steinberg's novel machine um susan steinberg is one of the greatest prose writers going um check out her work asap <laughs> <laughs> but this book came out with gray wolf um and it had just come out i just had gone to her event um for that book and um it's, it's just a really amazing sort of it's like circuitously structured in these cool um different sort of vignettes about like the death of a it's a it's a it's a girl like at like this in this like you know vacation community um and and there's like the, the death of a young woman uh, or a, a girl and like it's very like mysterious and strange and like but but like also very directly clearly like a shitty predatory situation but it's about how like a, a young girl's ordering just the violence of like masculinity and and growing up and it's just a really it's a really cool book um and it's done in a way that like i was like oh yeah i just love the i love the way that this is um fierce and fragmented and like of a piece but you're getting these really amazing morsels of expression um so those were the those were the two big things i was like i just i want that approach mm. and this hit me as like okay i can do that with a mountain lion voice <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I haven't heard of Machine, but I've I love Ultra Luminous. In fact, she was a guest on this show. People can go back all the way to her episode, which is 120 episodes ago. But I'm gonna go listen to it. <laughs> uh, she that was a that was a great book. What was it about? this news story was that it was so was it that it was so close to home do you use that i know it's a common writing exercise to like Mm. try to tell stories from a news story i mean it it was like i guess the original news story was that it was the living under the house Mm -hmm. was i was like oh wow that's phenomenal like this cat was like was like for a year or something or i don't know but but a, a, a long period of time unknown was just sort of like chilling under someone's house and again places don't have like basements it's like it's like a crawl space under a house yeah um and just to think about the energy that something that 
beautiful <laughs> was giving off, especially for the city. I think that like we all, so beyond a news story, like P22 was like a LA celebrity, you know? Um, and uh, I'm sure also in Santa Clarita, <laughs> where I now know you're from. Um, but you know, <laughs> just like the, the greater Southern California area, like, you know, mascot for conservation, for like urban wildlife, because you know, there are so many, you know, from coyotes on up or on down, I don't know, you know, I don't know the tiers, but there are so many wild animals in this area, in, in the area. Um, because there's these huge stretches of wilderness right on the fringes of, 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 of where everything's developed and developing. Um, but so P22 was like well known and had, be, you know, just grew and grew in celebrity when I was there. Um, so I just, I, was, I always felt really um, invested in yeah. the character. Um, and I don't, I still don't feel ownership. I mean, I honestly feel like, of course, but like, I feel like I, I was like, people are trying to own this cat in a way and trying to like project onto the cat. And I think that's true of like all celebrity. Right. And so I was like, well, for me, it's like, this is going to be a fictional expression. Of course, this isn't going to be the story of P22 and it isn't, you know, there's a million other different things, including like backstory and interiority, whatever, you know, instead of projecting, I'm like just completely fictionalizing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and using myself in like a really, really aggressive way. So it's like, this is going to be, you know, me 22 (laughs) 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 to be horrible and punny. But like, I was like, yeah, this, this is where where I'm, I want to come from. Um, but I think that that, so in a way, like, I don't necessarily, I don't know where I look for ideas. I, I, I think I kind of like, and again, this doing this book didn't come from me. Like always thinking about writing a book from P22's perspective or, or again from my fictional cat who I call Hecate, you know, and, mm. and it's what the cat comes to be called uh, by, a, by a teen witch um, who, yeah. who is maybe like where the source of like the cat's language comes from. So I do think a lot like in this sort of like, you know, Gen Z Twitter voice a little bit in this writing, you know, um, it's been, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's been called that. It's also like, the, you know, uh, it was called Furry Jenny Holzer or whatever. But, you know, there is a sort of style to this. And I was like, well, that does, it strikes me as something maybe like an 18-year-old witch in Los Angeles, like a privileged celebrity kid, uh, celebrity's kid, witch would, would speak like and would teach a cat to speak like. There, so there is that element of like retroactive language from the domestic situation. Um, but for, <laughs> for me, I think that um, it really was... Um, I heard a Nick Cave song and he mentions a cougar in the Hollywood Hills a song called Hollywood on the Ghostine record, which had also just come out in that fall of 2020, uh, sorry, fall of 2019 mm-hmm. when I started writing this, that first winter back in New York. Um, and so that was the, instead of like just always thinking I'd write something, I was like, Oh no, Oh, there's that cat. That would be, you know, somehow that and the conglomeration of those two books I'd read, it all hit. And I was like, tomorrow I'm going to start writing a novel from this perspective. You know, I told my, I told my significant, I was just like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not, I was trying to write a short story collection. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this book. And wow. I started and I didn't stop. And so it really did just like crash in from those little funny influences. It wasn't that I was thinking, what will I be influenced by? Or what news stories interest me? Yeah. Right. Bam. And then it hits you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hard to count on, but <laughs> when it happens, oh my, everyone follow that impulse, please. Something that I was surprised at in this book, and I don't know why I was surprised. I guess when I was looking at the pitch, uh, I was I just didn't think that it would be plot heavy, like a page turner. <laughs> how how did you find yourself in that? Like, but did that surprise you as well? One hundred percent. I have never been a let's say plot heavy creator. Um, I would say that you know three of my books I've written five books and three of my books are entirely plotless 
and one i just detonated the plot by making it a sequel to groundhog day so <laughs> i can just fuck around with every day restarting and so there's not really like any you know i don't have to create a plot structure i can come every because I, I really do think like a poet i want to come in every day and i want to find that fucking banger of a line or that moment and i just want to write that and i want to enjoy it and i don't want to have to think about bigger things that hinders my writing so much mm -hmm. to architecture fucks me up yeah so like so this was like yeah I, I mean i think that the journey of the real cat uh crossing the 405 freeway from the santa monica mountains where you know santa monica mountains where there are other mountain lions yeah um roaming and you know mating and everything and then also like living under a house you know um eating a koala in the la zoo these were like real plot points yeah. from life. And I was like, well, they're going to happen at some point. Um, <laughs> and in a way, like, you know, maybe let's say like maybe I start a little plotless. I start, you know, with a lot of uh, intensity because it's a cat who's hungry and stalking and maybe fixating on one man. It might want to bite um, things like that. Um, but, you know, the, the main plot points don't maybe happen until a little later. And some of them, almost all of them are structured around real things that were going on in Los Angeles. Um, I also thought very much about the natural um, sort of the little apocalypses we experience from, you know, floods and mudslides to wildfires to earthquakes. Every one of those things was going to happen in the book because they just happen. You know, yeah. you can be in L.A. a month and one of them's going to happen, <laughs> especially in like the certain drought years that were that sort of span of time around like the Trump election or whatever, you know, um, that was all very much like um, there. And so it totally surprised me how point to point plot this would be. And and I and by the end, I was like, I'm on a roller coaster. I cannot stop this cat is in trouble like <laughs> as you say at the beginning there's a little bit of foreboding right you're like this cat maybe shouldn't be here this is like intense for a cat to be so close to humanity um a, a, a mountain lion and um and that really did surprise me but it was fun and it worked out you know i feel like there's an emergence maybe it's not an emergence and, and i'm just reading it over and over because that's the books i'm drawn to but of the dread plot, like the, there's something that's you're just worried about happening the whole time. You're reading the book. I mean, uh, Rachel Lyons' Self-Portrait with Boy is another example of this, where the whole time you're just waiting for this conversation between a, a mom and a photographer who took this picture. You know, you're just waiting for this to happen. And so I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by what I have deemed the, dr the dread plot. And this is a fantastic one because... You know, everywhere over this book, it says P-22. We all know what happened to P-22. So uh, there is a little bit of like, how is that going to go down? Um, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's and it's so it's so sad that all the elements that led to P-22s, you know, them putting P-22 down. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I when I when I written the book, I really I, I dipped for many news. I, I like blacked out news of P-22 because I was like, I am way too close to the subject. And I but I think I always knew like it can't end well. <laughs> I didn't want it to end. You know, I, I, I hope P-22 would you know, live forever. I don't know. But I didn't necessarily want it to be like in captivity. Like I just it's it's really hard to know what to do with these situations. Um, but I love the idea of dread plot. I think that, yeah, I set it up, right? I mean, the first line is, I've never eaten a person, but today I might. Um, so I set it up for, like, something, you know, I, that's my Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Um, you know, not to <laughs> spoil anything. But, I mean, you know, things are going to get eaten. You know, it's, yeah. So, so you know, buckle up. But, yeah, dread plot. I, I, I get it. I think dread, dread is fueling our lives right now. And I think that if it can fuel our fiction or our memoir, if you're 
particularly i mean i guess sticker has a very dread plot as well um god damn okay yeah i'm i'm a a dread plot a tour tour, i'm realizing um september 11th is what my groundhog novel is about so you know lots of that yeah i mean the thing is is you work in high concept you know like i can easily tell someone like oh sticker that's a memoir in 20 stickers the stickers are like little madeleines um that you can follow through with or um groundhog forever it's a it's groundhog it's a c it's an unofficial sequel to groundhog day Mm -hmm. um you know are these are high concept are these plots are they freeing are they confining or are they both (laughs) oh gosh well confine confinement is freedom for me constraint is freedom for me um you know i uh catherine lacy and i were talking about this um the idea of um like you really have to narrow to write novels or to write anything you know write books you like you have to narrow the focus i think a lot of people try while they're writing and and, you know you know goddess bless them but like but you know like but they're just bringing everything in and i mean i think if you read like a lot of like classic canonized novels maybe not but you know like like works of mid-century male writers like it's like they're just writing everything and that's just fine. And they'll dip into their own life and then they'll come back and then they'll like give you 20 pages on the history of something, you know, like, and, you know, fine. But like, but, but I think to like, for me to, f- as, as a writer who is very much not like that, I don't write every day. I don't write, I don't do a lot of research. You know, like I, I like, I'm more poetic and I just, I'm more a poet um, and a concentrator and distiller. And I think that um, in that way, it can, if I find the right constraint, that's the only way I can ever write anything. Um, and so my books are based on constraints, um, all of them. You know, my first two books are compilations. You know, one's like a poetry hybrid memoir collection. One's a short story collection in different forms. But these three books, Sticker, Groundhog Forever, and, and The Open Throat, all had, yes, incredibly specific constraints. And that's all that got me through it. I think I otherwise it's too big. Like, where do I start? Where do I stop? I don't like writing. So, <laughs> like, um, But so it's, it's total freedom, but it's it's freedom based on constraint. You know, I, I think when I went to CalArts, we kept talking about conceptual poetry and conceptual approaches mm. as core to a lot of work. And the idea, what I kept saying about that was like, oh, yeah, what that is, is it's a good idea that's not hard. Uh, sorry, it's a good idea that's not hard to do. Mm. um like like you have the idea and then the actual act isn't very hard because you constrained yourself enough to keep going with it and that can be really like it's hard to find the right thing but i think the ones i've found were absurd all three were absurd a sequel to groundhog day which i've been thinking about for a very long time because i really did have an experience of watching groundhog day with bill murray when i went to nyu with a friend and we thought let's pitch this as a real sequel where someone's trapped watching the movie groundhog day with bill murray every single day and that's the book and i was like if i wrote that as a novel that'd be fucking crazy and i was like let's go yeah sticker 20 stickers tell the history of myself and the home my hometown of charlottesville virginia which is incredibly loaded right now and and bizarre and and you know refracted through global consciousness and judgment let's go and then like queer mountain lion tell the story of la and this moment of like apocalypse let's go Mm -hmm. so i think that was it is i have to feel like i'm taking enough of a risk with a big enough constraint that it can actually happen that a book will emerge and that's it yeah wow (laughs) i I can't tell if that's good advice or just like something that only works for you but um (laughs) i think that that's really cool i want to read everyone's books that attempt that yeah yeah, absolutely it's the only thing that works for me i guess is what i'm saying so it's not really like a blessing The book is full of these mishearing that they feel 
or and they hear and they the one of them the the youngest slaughter for the youngest daughter like i i love that um sort of stuff but it also seems like it might be something that maybe you had to cut a few um and also you you've been talking about fun having fun mm. what w- w- what was the most fun part of this book for you where is there a day or, or a section that you're like boy that was that was a fun day gosh in a way every day was a fun day um eh, you know a, f- a fun in, in the sense of i felt like i was really embodying something you know like i felt a, like aligned with this creature which is a special thing like i felt like i was a, a witch like you know like <laughs> i did i felt like i had i had sort of gone inside of a of a whole other experience which is what i guess magical fiction writing can do um but yeah right the, using you know the mishearings like i i tried to use yeah i, I did i shaved some off i also like sharpened some there's only really like four or five that are like become pivotal right mm-hmm. um uh something like like scare city instead of scarcity um which is like you know, Hecate hears that as like maybe a place, like we're living in scarcity. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's is it L.A.? It's Hollywood. It's but it's also scarce city. Like that's the city we live in. And so that was perfect for me because that really represented like how everyone's feeling. You know, that we live in scarcity. Like everyone, no matter what, has a level of scarcity in their mentality or in their actual lived experience. If they're experiencing homelessness or whatever, like there's so many elements that that sparked. Um, and I guess like, so I wasn't having necessarily fun with, I guess I'm always having fun with language because that's the whole ball game, right? Mm-hmm. But I was having a lot of fun with um, getting to an expression that I felt crystallized something I'd always been wanting to feel or say mm-hmm. and getting through it by like talking about a mountain lion, like eating a deer and eating its heart first or something. I was just like, yeah, I had to go through this to crystallize my own thinking and my own feeling like so much of like the queer desire in it, like the gender affirmation. I was like to say like, you know, you know, like to, to sort of think about like that we all want to like, you know, um, if you're feeling alone in this world, find someone to worship you like, like these little morsels that I would land on. I was like, that is, that's what I've been trying to feel. <laughs> you know, that's what I've been like, I could never tweet or, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's just something, uh, something that's so beautiful and deep for me that I can never tweet it and I'm letting it emerge as the mindset of this big cat. I thought that was, so that was like, it was beyond fun. It was like affirming. It was, Mm. it was life affirming. And like what, what's happened with the book is obviously amazing, but actually just writing it and and creating it was a very, very pleasurable experience. I don't know if I'll ever have as much fun writing a book. (laughs) Sadly. You said something earlier, furry Jenny Holzer that I liked yes. uh, and, but it made me question, um, are there any, the book's been out for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. People have had time to read it and respond to it and, and reach out to you and contact you. Have Has there been any unexpected responses that you didn't think of in the scope of things? I guess, like I said before, I, I can't write if I'm thinking about responses. So like everything has been unexpected and a joy. That, that's a that's a Ron Charles original. So like, you know, he's the book critic at the Washington Post um, uh-huh. said furry Jenny Holzer. And I was that's like, nice. I, I made a T-shirt. I haven't printed it yet because they did their own open <laughs> T-shirt at, at Picador. So I was like, hey, let's give them space. And I have one <laughs> where I, so it's the Jenny Holzer font, you know, repeated down a shirt. that says furry Jenny Holzer. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm going to I'm going to, you know, I just designed it and I'll, I'll order some. So, you know, 
maybe I'll maybe through so many tan books we can, we can <laughs> oh, limited edition. Five, <laughs> there are five furry Jenny Holzer shirts if you want one. Uh, hit Amazing. me up. Amazing. Um, I think you know it's hard to it's hard to have this level of exposure. I my last you know my books have been like in a very a, a range of of publishers and and receptions and visibility or whatever. The first surprise. Um, beyond just well i wrote a book which is always a surprise for me yeah um and you know book is interesting to stop there like i always say book in quotes (laughs) because i write really fucking wild short visceral books that maybe most people don't think of as books but fuck them um (laughs) forever um but yeah it was just the fact that like you know um i only i really i sent it to you know um this one agent that I had a connection with, I didn't have, I wasn't agented at the time. Um, this is my first agent. And just that, you know, he really responded well to it. And then after like the pandemic was mellowed, we went forward, you know, we were just like weighed the world and went forward with it. But just all the editors that got interested, I think, as you said, like the idea of like how plot heavy it is, like how, how mm-hmm. much of a, story a real story it is right a real voice a character a story things that like i don't forefront but did emerge in this process yeah um you know just the fact that so many people were interested in this book trying to buy it was totally whiplash for me i could not fathom that Mm. um i was excited but i was trying to keep my brain in check and my heart in check um Immediately, I, the first person I talked to was my person and became my person, Jackson Howard at, mm-hmm. at MCD FSG. And like that was like that was just a perfect fit. But but it wasn't, you know, he was certainly not the only person. And then, yeah, the response has been wonderful. The fact that, yeah, like Ron Charles, like, you know, just somebody who's like, you know, very, you know, classic, well-respected book critic. Um, and, you know, I had a great... Um, great talk with scott simon and npr like it's just just so many really amazing like i guess the mainstreamness of this book because i do not think of myself as a uh again it's not quote-unquote mainstream you know like but like the fact that there are so many people um connecting with this book or that saw the potential for mm-hmm. it to be like a popular book was surprising to me because i think going to cal arts the path i've been on the way i write i never thought i would like have that level that kind of response you right. know i'm I, I like always thought of myself as like cult classic not bestseller as you know yeah they say um not saying this is a bestseller but like but just the fact that like that it's so so it's it's been really really um it's been affirming but i think what's amazing is that yeah every single day every day um for months before it came out and now since someone reaches out to me um dms emails other forms a mm. review comes out an interview request like it's just someone personally connecting to the book and the voice and the feeling and the character and that's absolutely incredible i like i cannot tally the amount of people that i've and i i talk to every one of them you know like i don't ignore you know and, and it's not like they're fans but they're just like receptive re- you know responsive readers right and it's such a joy but it's so wild um to have that and i don't know i wouldn't trade it for anything but I, it's completely alien to me until now and it's amazing i had like maybe 50 fans before that and they were <laughs> and i would die for every one of yeah. them you know those 50 fans um you know they are my people but that was you know four books and 50 fans there we go <laughs> so yeah 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 i mean i feel like you're you're upping your your fan quota <laughs> for sure yeah go to my back catalog check them out you'll probably find something there too <laughs> that's what i did support small presses yeah <laughs> it was so fun to to read groundhog forever with open throat so recently in my mind because mm-hmm. it they do f- you you feel the style emerging you you i see that where how open throat came from here 
but I don't think I would have been able to predict that that's what Groundhog Forever would have been like. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think Sticker is closer. Sticker, <laughs> the that voice feels more. Sim- and you're saying you, it was me twenty two, so there was yeah. like, There's. Well, I wrote Sticker after Open Throat, oh. um, because I got a contract to write Sticker over basically from you know from 2020 all of 2020 so during the pandemic i wrote my memoir of charlottesville virginia so it was very very hard to do um i just had the most fun ever writing open throat and then i was hired to write sticker over you know eight months right um so that's the most recent book i've written you know um, besides the new stuff i'm working on with sticker so so that like was post open throat you know i'd exorcised this animal voice and then i got into this like micro essay like engagement with like pretty much every horrible american political element (laughs) of the last 300 years and my own shitty childhood i had a great childhood but you know but my my fraught you know feral childhood um is all in there so and that was really hard to do was right sticker yeah we we should say that this is part of a i mean it's Mm -hmm. like bloomsbury's 33 and a third you know it's like they're like you know you take an object and you go through it Mm -hmm. um there's high heel and there's billboard um and then there's sticker and i think i think it's like four stickers in that you like pull back for a second and you're like if if you were expecting one of these (laughs) books to be like the like the other ones it's not gonna be like that (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah and that got me some heat from the from you know the critic the goodreads critics like where it's like in in this book this writer says i'm not gonna make the book you thought you were gonna read (laughs) But and I do, and I couldn't help it. I think Hecate writing the animal voice, writing the mountain lion, gave me freedom to like truly not give a fuck in everything else I create. Yeah, and I think I'm hoping to hold on to that, and I hope I can spread that inspiration. <laughs> but it helped me write this really, really intense memoir. Yeah, those are my favorite thirty-three and a thirds. I mean, there's the uh, P.J. Harvey uh huh her one that Kate Schatz wrote and turned into a beautiful novella and uses the first line and the last line of each song as the first and last song of each chapter. It's very fun. Um, and I appreciate when people go off concept inside a very conceptual already like book series. So yeah. very cool thing that you were doing with sticker. Well, I was so grateful for that form. I think that's what inspired me was that I'd read quite a few of the object lessons from Bloomsbury and, um, and also 33 and third, you know, I've, I've read these series that like really um, where they give, a real flexibility for the individual writer to explore it in their own formal way. And so I never felt like, what are they going to think about me doing these flights of like breaking the fourth wall or whatever? I mean, it's already a memoir, which, you know, it's sort of more an academic series, you know, so it was really wild to sort of push it back against that. Yeah. But it was difficult because I think I just still did feel a lot of responsibility to my hometown and to the history and to research. So, you know, it was, it was still a struggle to like really figure out what each micro essay would would connect with and how it would be rigorous even if it was also you know qualifiedly bizarre and personal yeah yeah i mean there's this sort of <laughs> this sort of fun element even though these stories aren't very fun but uh where you're sort of waiting for like the sticker to show up mm-hmm. uh, and then another little element that i love is that every time you sort of imagine if it were a, str- a scratch and sniff it's great that kept me going was like <laughs> uh, in each, at least in each of these, like sometimes you yeah, have very upsetting essays. I'm going to say if so-and-so was, if a unicorn was a scratch and sniff, it'd smell like, and I would just, you know, imagine some kind of abstract smell or, <laughs> or ridiculous smell that 
that this particular sticker would would give off when you scratched it yeah and then there is the scratch and sniff chapter so eventually i really did think about like a mixtape i was like i love making mixtapes I, I thought about it in arranging open throat too even though open throat was really written linearly mm-hmm. like because i was just moving from plot point and and day to day to day and and emergent element to emergent element you know mm-hmm. in the cat's life i really still did think about like that was maybe like an opera you know and other books i think about mixtaping i think about like the exact arrangement and like this theme will will come back in i just i love making mix cds i had a car in california for my 11 years there that didn't have any ability to connect a ipod or anything it only had a cd player and the radio didn't work so it was like all i could do is make mix cds and so i have like 80 mix cds i gave them to my dad when, <laughs> when i sold my car to move here <laughs> like you know he I got to inherit my ridiculous treasure trove but like that's always the most fun for me is arranging mm. and and thinking about how themes will like echo through or come up later or sort of weave, you know? And that's what maybe some of my professors, like someone like Maggie Nelson, who I worked with at CalArts, like really that's something that's very important to her is, you know, the weave, mm-hmm. um, the like finding the way to thread things toward meaning. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I f- it's funny that you brought up Maggie Nelson because I felt bluettes in here too. The sort mm-hmm. of um, that sort of space that's given to the thoughts and mm-hmm. the anal- analysis. Yeah, and I, I actually really thought about it with the other book um, that you brought that you recommended to me, Stephen mm-hmm. Dunn's Potted Meat. Yes, which is ooh, this is a this is a desolate book. It's mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's desperation, but it's also like extremely funny mm-hmm. uh it's a very interesting book Wh- how, how did this book come onto your radar and can you tell the listeners what it's sort of about absolutely so yeah connecting back to cal arts um one of my cohort at cal arts um was elizabeth hall who's a really phenomenal um writer sort of a hybrid nonfiction writer who wrote a book called i have devoted my life to the clitoris um which i got to read you know and it's um early stages um at cal arts um as elizabeth's thesis um and uh, a book i I really adored in concept and in execution Um, it's a beautiful um fragmented uh academic slash memoir piece about the clitoris um in literature in history in psychology in 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 medical studies and in you know the life of 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 you know a fab person mm-hmm. you know growing up and like understanding it um and in, in their own unique situation and way and i think you know it's a phenomenal book it's um but it was published by this press uh, tarpaulin sky um who i think do really great books and they do books that are my shit which are like short exacting like just like lean beautiful expressions by absolutely distinct voices that's what i would say you know and, and most most of the indie presses i adore that's their approach because you know that's and that's the book i the books i want to write books i want to elevate and the books i want to read and luckily that's it's we're in a boom time for this kind of book yeah um but tarpaulin sky rules and um and through them i you know i went to i think i was invented awp or whatever and saw steven read a piece and it was like one of the greatest short readings i've ever seen was just this this piece um uh about a ninja um and uh, so steven's a writer um um from from west virginia and um a black writer from west virginia who was also um in the in the navy um and um and then studied at um at the university of denver with uh Sheila satterstrom who's also a phenomenal writer who i just adore um and uh and 
you know, just all these lineages of people I love. Um, and, and so I was like, this is a book I want to check out. Um, and it's it's a novel basically in 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 very sh- in flash pieces mm-hmm. uh, titled flash stories um, about. And I think it is one of the best coming of age books I've ever read. Um, it it does in 100 pages what like God people attempt and overwrought all the time to, to capture like what it is to come into consciousness in a fucked up situation of youth but also in a fucked up situation of the world of adults and then just like grow up and leave your hometown like that's pretty much what it does and it does it in these incredibly beautiful like morsels of of powerful frustrating like you know sort of uh, like you know post post-industrial decaying west virginia town um and a very specific family configuration that you sort of learn through fragments and encounters of just these really rich, beautiful characters. And the narrator is unflinchingly uh, imaginative and ambitious, but also just deeply traumatized. Yeah. I mean, he's constantly going into the yard where he's buried moonshine Mm -hmm. and he's like 12, you know, when when he's (laughs) doing these things. Um, And these details are devastating The The something that he keeps coming back to and they're, it's beautiful and devastating at the same time is his relationship with his grandmother who is who has dementia or alzheimer's i can't remember mm-hmm. but she th- is comes in and out of thinking that he is her late husband and in the moments where it he is her late husband she's sweet with him and she's and then she falls back out of that and and is understandably confused and frustrated and scared of where she is and these are done in two pages Mm -hmm. three pages and you're just constantly bowled over with that type of detail and it's a different type of dread than your than it's (laughs) it's because it's it's all it's people growing up too fast like the whole time i'm just like preserve your childhood and just like (laughs) how (laughs) You, you you know this is not a this is not a um, town or a growing up situation where you can really preserve anything. Yeah, and I think um, the unflinching quality of this book again is I guess that's part of like what I um, I'm interested in. I think like what's beautiful is that it's like beautiful, you know. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's 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 unafraid to just really get to how horrific childhood is. I think you know, in America and, you know, I mean, there's so many elements of this that make it, you know, let's say exceptionally upsetting and traumatic, but, but I think that it's not uncommon and it's certainly not uncommon to be like fucked up by your surroundings, but also unable to like articulate why. Mm -hmm. And this beautifully, like just directly gives you that experience, I think without, um, without any reflection, you know, it's not like, and that's how I felt that day. So thus many years ago, it's like, no, we're in the present moment right. each time, but we, so we, we get it from within and without, and it's just, it's, yeah. So I think it's, yeah, just incredible writing. Um, There's this stuff that between all of our, uh, you know, organs called fascia and this book has no fascia. Yeah. It's just organs. You know, yes. you're just seeing lungs, just seeing liver. Yes. Ooh, book. no fascia. I love that. Well, I like it because it sounds like no fascist because I'm I'm Antifa and then I'll, <laughs> I'm a card carrying member as as we all know. Yes. Um, yeah, put me on the list, motherfuckers. Um, but you know, but but no fascia. Yeah, like I I think that's like that really. I I said it um to my friend Lincoln Michelle. We did a we did a craft talk for um Lincoln's amazing Substack um counter, Countercraft. Um, and I was saying yeah, I really do feel like I write like the just the 
the gooey part of the body like i don't i don't create the skeleton mm-hmm. and i don't put a skin on it it's just like that gooey stuff and that's all i really know how to write and keep in a book you know yeah. otherwise i shave it off you know um it kind of reminds yeah. me of animation when they've when they're selling just the cells yes and there's no like background you just see like there's the you know book like the book that the character was going to pull off the shelf right Right. you just see it in motion and and that's just so concentrated yeah vivid and i i think about that too i i mean i loved calvin and Hobbes growing up i I think i really do think about like 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 lovely sketchy things (laughs) or like lovely drafty things you know and and the and the the protagonist in potted meat is a um it's like aspiring as like a as an artist um, so talk, there's a lot about talking about drawing and stuff and like having artistic impulses um, while also just being like, what does that mean? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, th- that this really does have that like, just, yeah, ske- like uh, it's funny to say, because I don't think about it skeletal. I do think, as you said, like it's gory, you know? Um, I mean, I'd love to read one little passage yeah. from this book, if I may. Um, there's this great, this is a really wonderful part and this just speaks to so much. Um, but, and this is like a very benign part of the book, but um, well, you know, if there is, but um the protagonist and and his sister have gotten in trouble because they've been uh, his sister's been like calling the care bear hotline oh. which is such a perfect like placing it in time like where you had to like you run up a phone bill calling something marketed at kids to get yeah. them to call something like and their parents get the phone bill like what a bizarre ancient time that feels like but that's the situation so they've gone to their um so i can and, and yeah so this is that's the context of this very short story called trouble and i'm just going to read from a little bit into it We walk in our aunt's house and she is sitting on the couch with the phone bill on top of a book in her lap. She takes off her glasses. Why'd you do it? My sister says, I don't know. I'm sorry. I know you're sorry, she says. But you know why you called the care, but you know why you called the care bears. Um, My sister says, I guess I just wanted to talk. Well, my aunt says, don't worry. This is a diminutive problem we can take care of. Diminutive is my aunt's favorite word. She says it a lot, especially when she talks about her shot glasses she collects when she travels. Come on in the kitchen, she says. We walk through the hall past her long bookshelf. Oh, she says, I have a glass from San Francisco to add to my diminutive glass collection. My aunt starts frying fish and telling me and my sister about a new book she is reading. A moving mystery, she says, but with literary sensibilities. I'm trying to write a book, too, I say. It's kind of a mystery because I don't know what's going to happen. It's diminutive so far. I just started. But I want it to be not diminutive when I finish. Well, hell, she says, you got to show me this book. We all sit at the kitchen table eating fried fish, hot sauce, and little bones and grease everywhere. My aunt leaves and comes back with a telephone. Here, she says to my sister, you can call them again if you want. Mm. And I just, like, I, I cry when I read that because, god damn, it's diminutive now, but I want it to be not diminutive when I'm finished. Like, yes. <laughs> and this book, you know, it's 100 pages, and so are mine. But <laughs> Like, so I feel that kinship, but it's like, this is, this book does more in that amount of time mm. than so many things that are bigger and more you know bigger publishers or you know what i mean like it's just it's a gorgeous book it reminded me of um of a major book that i remember from a couple years ago called mary lou is everywhere by Mm. sarah elaine smith that also deals with sort of this um it's a girlhood novel of this girl really wants to be in this other family mm-hmm. that's like lives nearby and seems to have no problems because she only goes over there. So uh, it's one of these great novels that really deals with uh, growing up in difficult situations and everything. And, and I did get that sense, but like, you know, it, it very much scene sets and, and has plot and, and ha- has all of that f- 
forward motion of like what's going to happen. But I, it's interesting that I don't miss that when I'm reading this at all. Like you, you don't feel like, Oh, this doesn't have something because it, it has it all, you know? Yeah. And the only thing it doesn't have is like at the end, uh, this character is going to join the Navy. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to read that book. And guess what? <laughs> It's Water and Power. It already oh. came out. It's like Tarflin Sky also published a, oh. a, a follow up um, about about the military. See, that and, was um, making me nervous. <laughs> no, so so just saying, like, no, I was Talk like, about uh, dread. Well, I was just like, oh wow, this like I could read another another beautifully written book by this writer, and there is, and I did. So uh, another hot recommend: read all of Stephen Dunn's work. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, it feels supernatural to just slide right into recommendations because that's mm-hmm. where we are mm-hmm. at in the show. Do you want to recommend things or do you want me to recommend? Again, you start. Okay. Get get my brain. Two things. Break. I read this book. It's a nonfiction. Reads like a novel. It's extremely short. It's called The Art Thief um, by Michael Finkel. Michael Finkel had that crazy um, thing happen where it turns out that he had created a sort of um, composite character for one of his uh, nonfiction pieces and didn't tell anyone that it was a composite character and he got found out and he's wrote mm-hmm. a interesting book about that called true story. Anyway, this is a completely different type of um, character that he's following that is a compulsive art thief. And he just goes around literally like putting paintings in his pants and walking out because there's really no real security. Like a, there's a lot of like, you promise you won't take that, mm-hmm. and we say yes, we promise we won't take mm-hmm. that when you walk into a museum. Um, and this guy takes that compact and just says like, I'm gonna steal millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of art. It's a heartbreaking book, fascinating. I don't want to give any more details away because it's only like it's like a six hour audio book. It's extremely short, um, but it's amazing. Um, and it just speaks to art in an interesting way. The other thing I wanted to recommend was a book of animal short stories from an animal perspective mm-hmm. by Talia Lakshmi Kaluri, What We Fed to the Manticore. Mm-hmm. Ooh, an incredible, every single one of these stories is a gem. I personally loved the wolf and the dog story the most because I love dog mm-hmm. and stories but i love all the animals in here um and it's just it's out from tin house it's an incredible collection um i i highly highly recommend it um to anybody who is like i want another amazing poetic from an animal (laughs) perspective like talia's got you covered uh what about you yeah um i love i love thinking about the art thing My, my dad had a friend um from uh college who who has a thing for licking art he doesn't steal it but he 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 licks he touches his tongue to like famous paintings um Ooh. if it's possible it's just like a thing he does he's an art licker um <laughs> i was like oh god that could have been a story or something There's i wrote a, I wrote a, a little story. piece about that but um <laughs> but yeah it's, you know just doesn't want to take it along doesn't want to deal with that baggage but just wants to have that connection to the yeah, oil have it inside um, him yeah so i just read probably my favorite book of the year um it came out from from picador so my you know it's uh, i'm label mates with this person um uh and i'm i just have to look up their name um but uh, the book is called rental person who does nothing um great title yes rental person who does nothing um and it's uh you know it's a it's a translation from the japanese um by a uh guy in tokyo who became a rental person who does nothing and amassed like a huge uh twitter following um and uh 
basically like could get, you could get DMs and you could hire and all you needed to do was pay for his transportation to and from wherever you wanted him to come do nothing. And it really was like there are specific stipulations of the um uh the like extent to which he could be involved in anything you know very much could listen could have and said like basic interactions you know like simple small talk you know but n nothing beyond that um shoji morimoto is the author's name um but rental person does nothing a memoir and so it's, it's sort of an exploration of it's just a beautiful exploration of this 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 like very practically strange thing that he began doing and the way it connected to so many people in a moment of like just the people need or want some level of companionship and a companionship that doesn't ask anything back. You know, it's not about friendship where there's like demands. It was just sort of an amazing encapsulation of our moment mm. of both alienation and desire for connection. And this just beautiful way to do it. And I think that like, you know, it's, it's specific to Japanese society, but it's also really specific to our contemporary global capitalist society. Um, and it also deals with like the idea of like fame and like how the boundaries got pushed and like not wanting repeat customers, not wanting to be too like, celebrity or exploited around this because that all did happen when this person you know amassed like a quarter of a million twitter followers many of whom would dm him daily mm -hmm. to make requests because you know it's a very cheap date to have this amazing like celebrity do nothing person come and join them in life you know wow yeah. um that sounds amazing it's a, it's a wonderful book um yeah and it's 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 a quick read but it's 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 a very meaningful read and it's kind of like what i like is something that kind of um dovetails with like philosophy just enough yes. you know where it's not capital p philosophy but we're really getting into like engaging with that level of the analysis i think so yeah the big questions through the littlest most interesting strange constrained things yeah, yeah. there's constraints again yeah so shows you more about rental person does nothing awesome hard, hard recommend well i'm also gonna very heartily recommend if you haven't already you got to go out and pick up Open Throat, you will not be disappointed. Um, if you're an audiobook person, I saw that the audiobook is like two hours um, or something. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty short. But Take I, a long walk and listen to Pete Cross, my absolute hero, do this piece. You know, He did Moby Dick and he did my book. So, you know, <laughs> a, a real range of that, talent that's, in, in, this, in this gentleman. That's range. Um, I'd also recommend joining uh, the Patreon for so many damn books. Um, patreon.com slash smdb just a dollar and you can join in and um we have chosen the book for book club in august the end of uh, the month we are going to be reading patrick dewitt's the librarianist which was listener suggested and then listener voted on between 17 other titles um so if you want to get in on that fun and also eventually probably get stickers and pins and I'm thinking a leather bookmark in the mail. Join uh, So Many Damn Books, the Patreon. I am trying to do more with it and I'm trying to be there. And it's just like already these people are absolutely some of my favorite people in the world. And I've only met them through the Patreon. So come join us. We really appreciate it. And also, of course, go and leave a review on iTunes for so many damn books. I need reviews to keep the show alive. Henry, thank you so much for coming on so many damn books. This was an absolute blast. <laughs> I am so glad you could come. Thank you so much, Christopher. This was amazing. Yes.